This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Being blind, I've been on some interesting dates, but you don't have to have a disability for dating to be a challenge. He whispers in my ear, two more hours of this, when I was like, I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Join me, Fern Lullum, as I delve into the psychology of dating and relationships from first-hand experience to expert advice. Taking away the pressure of the first date, find an interest that you both like. Into you, new episodes every first Thursday of the month. Download this AMI podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you ready? Let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes a big chance. The shot is. Is this the tagger? The neutral zone. Oh, oh my God. This is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Rock Richardson. It is Friday, which means it's time for another edition of The Neutral Zone. I am indeed your host, Brock Richardson, joined this week by Josh Watson. Josh, how are you? I'm doing well, Brock. It's Friday afternoon. We get to do a great show, and it's not too uh, wintry outside today. So, all in all, a good day. Yes, always. It's a little cold out there, but it's uh, better to be cold than lots of blustery snow. Joining us also is Claire Buchanan. Claire, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. I I just realized that this time next week I'll be joining in on the women's para hockey uh, little virtual camp that we have going on. So looking forward to that. Oh, yes, that will be fun. How many people will be on said virtual camp or do you know? So, yeah, so we have close to 60 young girls across the country, actually. Um, being a part of the camp and so it's it's going to be a lot of fun there's going to be like stick handling stuff and games and yeah it's it's just gonna be nice to uh, kind of have that camp feeling back yeah that's uh one of the things if if you didn't know about zoom prior to the pandemic you surely do now and it's allowed for things like this to occur so that'll be good and i look forward to hearing how that goes uh when you're on post that camp Good to see that there's lots of women up and coming into the sport as well, which is good for the game in general, but specifically the women's game. So enjoy. Uh, Last week's Twitter poll question was, which of the championship games in the NFL were you most looking forward to? Your options were 0% both games, 33% Green Bay, Tampa Bay, and 67% Kansas City, Buffalo. Josh, any surprise there? Um, a little surprise for me, just because I thought with two amazing quarterbacks in uh, Brady and in um, Aaron Rodgers, that we would have had more interest in that game. But given that some of our listeners are in southern Ontario and the Buffalo Bills are a popular team around our neck of the woods, I guess it makes sense that, uh, that 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 game would have drawn more eyes. Yeah, absolutely. Claire, any surprises? I mean, I'm a Packers fan myself, so I was looking forward to that game more so. But like Josh said, um, I really think it's just because of where we are and the Buffalo Mafia is pretty pretty big here in Ontario. 
Yes, the the, the Buffalo Mafia uh, speaks loud in uh, here in Canada because uh, for for some parts it's the closest uh, team, and that's what tends to happen in that type of case. This week's Twitter poll question goes as follows: With the recent trade in Winnipeg involving Patrick Laine, how do you feel about it? I love it. I hate it. I don't care. And Josh is going to give you uh, some details when we get into our headlines right about now. As it relates to our Twitter poll this week, the Winnipeg Jets have traded star winger Patrick Laine and center Jack Roslovic to the Columbus Blue Jackets in exchange for star center Pierre-Luc Dubois and a third-round pick in 2022. Laine, Roslovic, and Dubois had all requested trades in recent months. I, for one, look at this as a chance for each team to trade disgruntled stars, and I wish everybody the best in their new environments once they pass their quarantines. There was a lot of talk that trades wouldn't happen this year because of the quarantines required, but this one did, so good luck to Pierre-Luc and to Patrick. George Armstrong, who captained the Toronto Maple Leafs for four Stanley Cups in the 1960s and wore the blue and white his entire career, has passed away. He was 90 years old. Kevin Bissett gives us more on the career of the late, great George Armstrong. Armstrong played a record 1,187 games with almost 300 goals and more than 400 assists over 21 seasons for the Leafs, including 13 seasons as team captain. The right winger added another 26 goals and 34 assists in 110 playoff games. Known as the Chief, Armstrong was one of the first players of Indigenous descent to play professional hockey. He was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1975. Leafs president Brendan Shanahan says Armstrong loved being a Maple Leaf and was always one to celebrate teammates rather than himself. Kevin Bissett, the Canadian Press. Armstrong was the epitome of what a captain should be, and our love and thoughts go out to his family, and rest in peace. The NHL has suspended former Arizona Coyotes general manager John Shaka through December 31st as part of its ruling on a dispute over his departure from the team last summer, according to Sportsnet's Elliot Frieda, excuse me, Friedman. The league sent a memo to its teams about the decision saying, Cheka engaged in conduct detrimental to the league, breached his obligation to the club, and was properly terminated by the club. This unfortunate situation just comes from a change in ownership and from a person's desire to better himself. And it's a shame that it had to go this way, but... Jacob made a, a poor decision, in my opinion, and uh, he's now paying the consequences for it. On Wednesday, it marked the one-year anniversary since basketball legend Kobe Bryant and his daughter and others died in a tragic helicopter accident. Even though it has been one year, the legacy lives on of Kobe Bryant and his daughter. I know on Wednesday, uh, there was a lot of talk about Kobe Bryant and the legend that will remain and it's hard to believe that it has been one year but uh, may all of those people involved in those accidents still rest in peace and know that they are still on our hearts today those are your headlines for this week and uh, coming up next we're going to talk to ness murby who is a para athlete in many many sports 
We're going to find out all about that. Hang in. We're just starting the neutral zone on this Friday and we'll be right back. And welcome back to the Neutral Zone AMI broadcast booth. And we are set to get this ball game underway. The first pitch brought to you by Brock Richardson's Twitter account at NeutralZoneBR. First pitch, strike. And hey, gang, why not strike up a Twitter conversation with Brett Wills from the Neutral Zone? Find him at Neutral Zone Brett. Swinging a chopper to second base right at CP Buchanan 13. Claire picks up the ball, throws it over to first base for a routine out. And fans, there is nothing routine about connecting with Cam and Josh from the Neutral Zone. At Neutral Zone, Cam J and at J Watson 200. Now that's a winning combination. And this organ interlude is brought to you by AMI-audio on Twitter. Get in touch with the Neutral Zone. Type in at AMI-audio. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone here on AMI-audio. I'm Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson. We're uh, also joined by Clara, but uh, she's getting some uh, technical stuff uh, sorted out. So Josh and I will handle this interview until she's back. Um, Josh, we're going to be joined by a great guest in uh, this segment. And uh, before I read, uh, read the intro... I know you've had some experience with our guests. So do you want to take a couple of minutes and just kind of give us a little little synopsis? Sure. Uh, so we have the pleasure of speaking with Ness Murby in a few minutes. And I remember um, being at, it was either a Cruiser Classic here in the Toronto area or possibly a provincial championships in Ottawa, maybe both, and had the pleasure of meeting Ness and watching him compete in para-athletics at the time. Um, great athlete, great Paralympian, and I think we're going to have a great conversation here today. I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, catching up. Yeah, so just to give the listener a little bit of background on Ness, he was born in Melbourne, Australia, and has represented three different countries. That is not a typo, folks. Australia, Japan, and Canada. He has also been lucky enough to play three different sports within the para-sport community, javelin, powerlifting, and goalball. Ness doesn't stop there. He also runs an emergency series with AMI as well. Ness, you know how to keep yourself busy. Welcome to the program, and thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, cheers, mate. Great to be connected uh, with yourself and Josh. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, you certainly know how to write me up well. Um, it's a pleasure to be on uh, the neutral zone with the two of you. Well, we're glad to have you, and let's start with that emergency series if we can. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Certainly. Um, so the AMI Emergency Series is a 20-episode series with each one being about two to five minutes in length. And the series itself is covering a variety of emergency situations and uh, the considerations around those, such as fires, floods, earthquakes, power outages, and, and how to prepare for them, especially when you're thinking of those of us who are blind or partially sighted. And for me, I believe the series sets the foundation for the emergency basics 
but it also is in considering the unique and individual needs and, and amid these pressure-filled situations, which is a diversity and inclusion conversation that we really need to be bringing to light. Yeah, absolutely. It certainly is. And, you know, I, I don't, we, we sit here and we think, oh, you know, an emergency, you know, it's such a, you know, few far in between. And of course, that's what we hope for. But things like this is just to kind of give people, you know, the, the synopsis of if this happens, this is what you should do. And why for you, Ness, was it important to get involved with a project such as this one? Um, well, I think uh, when, when AMI worked through the series pitch with me, you know, they, they tossed me a couple of curveballs, and, and, and I recognized that I'd experienced a great many of these emergencies. So, yeah, I suppose that that's a bit of an unconsidered collection to have to one's name, um, saying that you've lived through a plethora of emergencies. But in any case, it, it really drove home to me that the emergencies are something that I find a lot of people think of as over there. And the reality is that they happen all the time, and it's really important that we open up these discussions so that when an emergency does arise, it's not our panic impulse, but rather our responder that gets signaled. Um, I don't know about you, but my learned and practiced response to emergencies has hugely impacted my course of action and, and surviving during them. So the outcome of emergencies are incredibly varied. You know, uh, a power outage can seem mundane, but in extreme heat like 40-degree weather Celsius in, in Oz, there's a variety of impacts based on whether you've prepared. So are you in the city or the country? Do you have running water, cold water? Are your animals able to regulate their body temperature? What about your own body temperature? And for me as a person with a disability and a mental health practitioner, it was just really easy to see the benefits in producing a series like this, um, being able to bring perspectives in on a topic that, that I mean, it often gets overlooked or taken lightly, or at the other end of that spectrum, it seems too overwhelming to face. Have, you know, have either of you been thrown one of these emergency curveballs? Well, I remember for me uh, the, the big blackout that uh, took place in Ontario, uh, in the late 2000, like before, before we reached uh, 2010, I remember that being kind of unsettling because it was, you know, it wasn't just oh an hour here, an hour there. It, it was a quite a while before things uh, things went back. And and you're right, it it is one of those things that we put kind of over there, and nobody really pays attention to it. Certainly, and yeah. I think. Um... You know, when you, when you say that it was more time than you considered, like that really adds to that mix that, you know, uh, how long will this last for? And I mean, even with the pandemic, right, it's when will this be over? Absolutely. As a person using a wheelchair and living on in a high rise, I certainly think about my own uh, needs when it comes to emergency. But I'm curious, are there more of these sorts of series coming for you? And where can people go to view these? Oh, brilliant. I guess uh, this is a great time for me to insert a plug for the series. So um, you can catch the AMI emergency series on AMI, the AMI website, AMI.ca, the AMI TV app, and the AMI YouTube channel. Um, thanks for that, guys. And uh, certainly, everyone, uh, please jump on there, check it out. AMI TV app, AMI YouTube channel, and the website. The, the series itself is being rolled out gradually. 
so a release date for episodes um, will continue until all 20 are, are up and, and will remain available for, for viewing and, and re-watching. In terms of a, a separate series, I, I think I'm going to say we're going to take it one step at a time, but I certainly see room for, for expanding beyond this and, and onto it. We're joined by Ness Murby, who is a para-athlete as well as been involved in this emergency series, which he just told you about. And you're listening to The Neutral Zone. I'm Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson. Uh, let's switch gears to your para-athletic career. We talked about you uh, being involved in three different sports. Exactly how did that come to be? Like, how did you settle on, these are the three that I'm going to focus on? Um, well, I drew them out of a hat because that seems uh, the, the most logical. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, that's a bit of tongue-in-cheek. But uh, I've always liked sport. And as my eyesight diminished, I was pushed to keep adapting because rugby, it just went right off that table for me. Um, so I was directed to goalball, which being a blind-only sport uh, seemed to be, a, a, I guess, a logical recommendation. And, and it promised fast-paced, hard-hitting opportunities for me. So, yeah, that, that was a, a, an avenue to, to pursue my rugby dreams via goalball. Um, now, uh, the, the next uh, chapter was really pre- uh, preempted by my move to Japan. Goalball was two hours away. Um, and that was sort of a, a difficulty that you take into account um, as someone with a disability that that traveling to and from um, a location has to be considered. So I transitioned into powerlifting. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but powerlifting is actually a bit of a national sport in Japan, and it's a solo goal. So it allowed me to pursue it with autonomy and independence, and that's how I got into powerlifting. Um, yeah, f- phenomenal experience there. And then I guess I'd say, you know, rather than picking out of the hat, um, it, it's just it's not uncommon for para-athletes, para-athletes to, to change sports. And, of course, um, the Paralympics are socially accepted as the gold standard. So visually impaired powerlifting is not a Paralympic event. And in setting my sights on the Paralympics as my, my next um, goalpost, I needed to change events. And I was actually approached for para-athletics, which, hey, it appealed to my love of diverse training, um, a program that's going to leverage both strength and speed. You know, went straight from powerlifting into shot put and, uh, funnily enough, wound up being better at javelin and and, um, moved on to discus because discus is the Paralympic event. And as we mentioned off the top, you have had the opportunity to compete at a high level with those three countries, Canada, Japan, and Australia. I was wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about what it's like representing different countries. Yeah, I think um, for me there's there's, um, a real connection with each country, and and I kind of think of myself as a a type of renaissance man, I guess, be it it physical, creative, or cognitive. Um, The pursuit, I'm just keenly open-minded to keep drawing on new experiences. So it's been an honor representing each of my countries um, and for varying reasons, uh, for varying beliefs and kinships with with each country. Um, Culture in these places too between, you know, Australia, Japan and Canada is incredibly different and so the experience I gained has been invaluable. Um, Let's break it down. Representing, Representing my birth country, Australia, was huge for me and deeply meaningful because it's certainly that 
every person's ideal representing your country. Now, funnily enough, Canada, I actually lived in Canada during a gap year and knew I wanted to come back to live here in my future. And so upon, upon returning to Oz, I, I filed for permanent residency, but that was back in 2004. And so life, that, that thing that happens when you're busy making plans, well, between that time, I, I was rocketed into an opportunity to move to Tokyo. So unexpectedly, I found home there and I was a, a very successful employee there and found myself immersed in that culture. And so Japan was my second country and it was a culture that had taught me so much. So to be invited to represent it was a, you know, a great honor and is a part of who I am now. Those, those mottos and values stick with me. Um, yet we moved to becoming a Canadian and, oh, I remember my citizenship ceremony in 2014 and having that everything in its place feeling. And I think, I think that's what Canada has been for me. It's been representing this great country, but also finally representing myself. Uh, so yeah, every, every one of those countries um, is incredibly unique and, and holds space within me. Ness, we've got about 90 seconds, and I just want to fit this last one in because I think it's valuable for our listeners. Was there one thing or a couple of things that you took from one country to another that you felt uh, valuable going through life and parasports? Yeah, great, great one. Um, I've always maintained my connection with being um, an Aussie, my Aussie culture. I mean, that's where I learned the importance of giving everything a go and not taking yourself seriously. So this carried through into sports and this idea of mateship and a human connection. Powerlifting Team Canada was a fundamental part of my growth as an athlete, and they taught me that the challenge is with yourself and strength comes from adversity. So that helped me um, be in my present place, which is representing Team Canada and at this level having sporting cognitive flexibility to believe in myself without comparison, um, you know, continue challenging outside the comfort zone. And that's a huge part of the mental athlete I am today. And I think the final thing I want to leave the listeners with is that, look, I've broken world records. I hold world continental national titles, own hardware, etc. But the orthodox recognition in sport is becoming a Paralympian. That's the gold standard I mentioned. And I think I want to say to that people that, we need to go out and we define our own success. So in saying that, I am incredibly proud as a True North representative, a Canadian Paralympian, but something that I have learned along the way to carry with me is that the biggest challenge is in realizing I was enough without the title and I'm still enough now. And those lessons have been learned from Australia to Japan to Canada. Really? Right, that was awesome. Yeah. Really? Really great way to uh, end the interview, Ness. Uh, such great words, and thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, and we'll have to have you on again down the line. Would love to come back. Um, yep, to all uh, the listeners and to yourselves, Future Zone, what a great pitch, guys, and keep those uh, curveballs coming. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it and love doing what we do. That was Ness Murby, who really does a lot, not only for the uh, Parasport community, but also dabbles in a little bit of video. So uh, really great having him on, and we will have him on down the line. Coming up next, 
We're going to discuss the Olympics and Paralympic Games. What does it mean being 25 weeks away from the Games? Are they going to run? We'll chat about it right after this here on The Neutral Zone. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson. And thankfully, Claire is back. We've worked out her uh, technical gremlins, and she's back to join us for the second half of the program. Claire, welcome back. Um, I thought we would uh, would discuss something that came out uh, this whole week. There's been a couple of different things that have come out regarding the Olympic and Paralympic Games. This first one kind of gives you a synopsis on what's really going on in uh, Japan and what some of the people in Japan that live there are saying about the games. Let's have a listen. Japan's government denies reports that the Tokyo Summer Games are doomed. The Times of London, citing a senior government source, reported there's consensus that holding the games would be too risky in light of coronavirus. Though Japan has fared relatively well during the pandemic, it is struggling to get the virus under control and major cities are under a state of emergency. Japan has seen nearly 5,000 deaths from COVID. Polls show around 80% of Japanese do not think the Olympic Games should be held this summer as planned. Anthony Trotter, ABC News, Tokyo. So that's kind of the viewpoint of what's been going on in Tokyo. And then later on in the week, we heard from uh, Thomas Bach, who was talking about specifics and how he feels about the Games. And he runs the International Olympic Committee. Let's have a listen to what he has to say. The Olympics were supposed to be held last year. The pandemic pushed it to this year. Bach says talk of another schedule change is damaging to the athletes who are preparing. We are not uh, speculating of whether the Games are taking place. We are working on how the Games uh, will uh, take uh, place. Bach says they are preparing for 2021 the same way Olympic athletes prepare. With... uh, all the the physical and uh, mental uh, strength uh, we can uh, we can have box says athletes and workers at the olympics should not be allowed to jump the line but advise they get vaccinated i'm ed donahue so we kind of have uh two different uh viewpoints there uh thomas bach who's the head is saying nope we're gonna run through this and the uh, people that live there are going yeah i don't think so and to me, Claire, the, the number that stands out in the first one is like 80% of people that live there are saying, I don't really want this to go. Thoughts? I mean, when you put it into perspective, if, say, the Olympics and Paralympics were happening here, would we, would we as Canadians be comfortable with everyone coming here during a pandemic? It's, I, I understand their concern, and they have every right to to feel worried about that. Um, but uh, at the same time, I, I have full faith that if if they do end up happening, hopefully that uh, they've they put the right steps in place to for everyone to be healthy in the end. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is actually pretty typical. I think the normal discussion point is, well, these games are so expensive and they've gone overpriced, 
But now we've got the virus to add to it. And you do have to question, is it a good idea for a country to welcome in a bunch of people from around the world when this virus has proven that it is still not under control? Uh, I think it would be tragic for the athletes competing and the officials getting ready to to officiate those games. But at the end of the day, I think we have to do what's right for everyone and decide, can we do this safely or can we not? And if we can't, then it has to be scrubbed, unfortunately. Do you guys put any additional weight in, say, the general public saying, no, we're not interested in this happening? Or is it a matter of if the International Olympic and Paralympic Committee says, no, we're good to go, it doesn't matter what the general public feels? And I hate to put it as bluntly as that, but is it as simple as that, Josh? That's a hard question for me to answer. I think when a bid goes in to host a games, the public needs to absolutely be consulted because if the country decides to host the games, but its people don't want them, then that's a problem because you're not likely to get support for the games when they're running. In this particular case, I, I think we're in a unique situation you don't often have a global pandemic on your hands when you're trying to put on one of these games. So it's, it's a really tough spot. I, the, the population should have a say, I think, but at the same time, you've sunk all this money into getting ready and it would be a shame for it not to go off if it can be done safely. I mean, it is an athletics, uh, like, they're hosting athletes here, and so um, it's, it's hard to put yourself in an athlete's position when uh, you don't understand how much time they've put into this. But um, at the same time, it, it sucks because no matter it's, if it's in sports or just kind of your general government, it's, you kind of don't have a decision to be made with the public it's they don't get a choice sometimes it's maybe the games just go along and they they say hey sorry this is going on this is our decision and sometimes the the general public just unfortunately they don't get a say and at the end of the day guys and i want you both to to comment on this we don't know what that 80 percent is saying no to whether that 80 percent is just saying no that's just people playing sports why is this needed in the middle of a pandemic? Or if that 80% is saying, no, this is for the safety uh, of the athletes. Like, it's hard to know where that 80% is. Is it just a matter of, no, this is this is just about sports? Because we've heard that all through, uh, you know, conventional sports. Oh, why is sports playing? They just make millions of dollars. Why does it matter? When realistically, it's a business. You can't necessarily say that about the o Olympic Games, but thoughts, Josh, on where possibly the public might be? Am I on to something or am I just kind of stretching for something? No, I would say you're on to something. But first off, I would remind you that everything is a business, unfortunately. 
when you think of all of the sponsorships and of the teams and of the venues and everything, the Olympics is probably the biggest business, in my opinion. Um, having said that, I think when it comes to that 80%, I really believe it's either we don't need this sporting event during a pandemic or it's just we don't need these people coming into our country during a pandemic. I think it has more to do with people's own personal safety feeling threatened than it does not wanting the spectacle of the games. Once the games go on, we all know that all of the the other stuff goes away. But leading up to, there's almost always some kind of backlash or change of heart by the people involved. So I, I think that's where the 80% is coming from personally. Yeah, like you said, Brock, uh, you never know what the depth of that conversation or those comments are are coming from. Um, I wonder if uh, the games do run. You think they they could essentially cut it down a lot with no opening and closing ceremonies. Families don't get tickets to the events, and I think a lot of it could be closed off. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's uh, everyone's safety has to be at the forefront because we have we have no idea what this is going to look like come August. It's we're one month into 2021, and it's it doesn't look like it's it's calming down anytime soon. No, not at all. If I was to hand both of you a survey, and I'm part of the IOC, and I'm saying, okay, I I'm taking a poll. Um, see what what the general public thinks us all being athletes what would you vote would you would you allow these games to go if they were in canada hypothetically josh you can go first on this one that's a really tough question if i'm approaching it from the standpoint of an athlete who might get to go because not only is it do i get to go to this international event or not but it can matter where i am in my career Maybe I've done this for years and maybe I'm potentially going to my second or my third Paralympic Games and that maybe sways my decision. Maybe I say, you know what, the safety is more important to me in that instance. But if I am a young athlete and I've worked really, really hard and this is my first time making the Paralympics and, I mean, we heard from our last guest how... how big a deal it is to be called a Paralympian. Um, if if you've worked that hard and you finally get to that point and then someone tries to tell you no and or, or the choice is yours, I think you go because you think to yourself, number one, I've worked too hard. I have to go. I want to go. And number two, in the back of your mind, you might even have to say, I might not get this chance again. Yeah, that's the thing. You don't know if uh, the next chance you'll get to go out of the, to a Paralympic Games. Uh, I've never been to one. Brock, you've been to a couple. Um, would that sway your mind of like, okay, I've been to two. I, I don't think I need to risk it to this one. Um, where would your head be at? It, uh, it's a it's a fabulous question, and my answer is is 
twofold. I went to Beijing in 2008, and I was 16 years old. Okay, there was there was no stopping me to go to this game. Like, if there was a pandemic and all things were equal, I'm going. Okay, even going into 2012, I'm going because I love I loved England. I'm not so sure if I was to do it a third time. I'm not so sure I'm going because I've been there. I've done it. I've got the postcards and I've literally got the postcard. I'm looking at it in my office right now. I I don't need to do it. But if it's my first games, yeah, I'm going. And this is is where I kind of sit and think, can we really leave it up to these athletes to decide? Because they are going to, I would think, this is my personal opinion, I would think they are going to go because you don't get an opportunity all the time to represent your country. And so that in all of this would be what would scare me. And if I can just quickly add something, Brock, I think where it is would make a difference to me. We've seen in the news that the Asian countries seem to be able to clamp down on it quicker And so I think I would feel safer knowing that it was in Japan as opposed to, say, if this was Rio, for example, when they were battling the Zika virus. Absolutely. It it really would depend. And I just before we wrap this segment up, I just want to say us all being athletes and these reports coming out saying, you know, that amateur sports may have to wear masks no matter what what sport you're in. Us all having been athletes and are athletes, would you be comfortable wearing a mask playing your individual sport? Claire, start with you. Um, I've actually been uh, thinking lately, it's the mask, it's wintertime, and I'm sure a lot of people are actually uh, using your mask for warmth right now. So <laughs> as me playing hockey, I I don't honestly wouldn't mind it. Um, I don't think it would be too uncomfortable, but... Um, the only thing it would alter is you just have to, I guess, talk louder. But as a, as talking specifically to para hockey, I, I wouldn't mind it at all. And going to the other guy who plays a uh, summer sport, Josh, would this uh, sway your decision? You play both, but in the summer specifically, would this sway your decision? I think if I had to wear a mask to to do my sports in uh, in, in track and field, uh, it it would be harder. I think because I just don't feel as if I would be able to breathe as easily uh, during the exertion of of my event and. Whether it's shot put, which is a ballistic event, or whether it's a javelin or a discus, there's a lot of effort involved, at least for me. And so I I feel like the mask would be a hindrance for me. But if it's the only way to get back to sport, I guess it would be something I would have to adapt to. But my preference would be not to have to wear it. Yeah, mine too. If I if I you know went back and played bocce, uh, you know I've heard from ex teammates of mine that have said we've had to train and and it's tough. And I don't know if um, 
if, if playing bocce, you know, in Portugal, Portugal comes to mind for me because we were in a venue where there was no air conditioning. And you're talking, you know, 35, uh, 40 degrees outside uh, and then add into a venue with no air conditioning. Yikes. Uh, no thanks. So I, I think it's going to depend, but I think the IOC will need to eventually come down and make a decision because if you leave it up to the athletes, it could be a dangerous proposition. That'll wrap it up for this segment. Coming up next, we're going to discuss uh, football. Uh, Aaron Rodgers made some interesting comments. We're going to discuss that off the top of segment four and maybe give you a little bit of a preview into this year's Super Bowl. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Buck Richardson, joined by Josh Watson and Claire Buchanan. Well, with the uh, Super Bowl set and uh, ready, we're going to see Kansas City and the Buccaneers, who have uh, Tom Brady behind center. Uh, But I want to jump down because we're going to do a whole segment next week on the prospects and what we think about... Who's going to win? So I'm going to jump down to a story that came out after Green Bay lost to Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Um, uh, Green Bay quarterback Aaron Rodgers is under contract for a few more seasons, uh, three more seasons to be in fact, and he says his future is a beautiful mystery. Um, We know that he seems to be unhappy since uh, Green Bay drafted uh, Jordan Love. Uh, Claire, I'm curious from your perspective, uh, Aaron Rodgers, you're a fan of Green Bay. What do you make of comments like, my future's a beautiful mystery when we read on paper, uh, he's supposed to still be here for another three years? I mean, that's just uh, that's just baiting everybody, keeping the hype up. So, um I, as an individual, I don't read too much into when athletes make comments like that because some of it, sometimes it's uh, they give you a kind of a hint of what they're going to do or they're just kind of throwing you off. So um, you never know. And um, I'm one of the fans that uh, luckily he's he's here for a few more years. So hopefully, hopefully that stays that way. And hopefully he has another great season just like this one. For me, I can't picture Aaron in another uniform. I just, I don't see it happening. Um, I I think any professional athlete is going to be unhappy when they see some, when when they see their team drafting their replacement. But if we remember, he sat on the bench behind Brett Favre for a number of years, and it didn't hurt his development one bit when he finally got the reins of the team he came out guns blazing so i think if anything having jordan love there has probably fueled him to say oh oh you're gonna draft my replacement well watch this and so i don't anticipate him going anywhere i just as as claire said i think he just maybe likes the the spotlight and and 
wants people to keep guessing. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, would, go ahead, Claire. Who want? Who wouldn't want uh, a quarterback battle, right? I mean, like like Josh said, uh, they he learned so much from Brett Favre, and this can only make the Packers better for the longevity of it. And uh, I think both quarterbacks need to be open to that and start competing. That's that's totally fair. I I also would like to take the the spin that you know, he came off of a loss that I think a lot of people were expecting to be a different result when you come off a loss like that and have a chance to take down uh the greatest of all time uh for this present day and then lose, you kind of say things as an athlete that you may not mean in the moment. And so for me, I don't know if I buy Aaron Rodgers, you know, his future is a beautiful mystery. Sure, everyone's future is a beautiful mystery because we all don't know what we're going to be in a week, in a month, in a year. Like, no idea. So I think that's sort of where Aaron Rodgers is coming from. I mean, he's going to have a... Uh, a run at uh, Jeopardy in the coming weeks uh, as he's going to be uh, one of the guest hosts um, uh, for Jeopardy, which is going to seem really, really strange to watch uh, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers in that kind of role because I'm obviously familiar with him as a quarterback. But hey, whatever, if that's what you want to do and dabble in something else, you can do that. You have an off season. To, to be able to do that, you're still being being paid money. And I also think, guys, and I want your thoughts on this, could this also be a way for Aaron Rodgers to say, you may think you control me, but if I decide to walk away from this contract, it's my choice? Josh? An athlete ha- always has the opportunity to, to walk away from something. Um, I do agree with you that his comments were probably made in the moment. Um, I mean, you look at that game and it basically could have come down to that one play where they decided rather than go for it on fourth down, they, they kick a field goal. Um, I don't know about Claire, but I certainly didn't understand that decision at the time. I mean, you needed the points, but that was the head coach's decision apparently. So I think it goes back to can the head coach and Aaron be on the same page? If they can, I think he stays. If they can't, and LaFleur says this is how we're running the offense, then Aaron may say, you know what, buddy, you go ahead and run that offense because it ain't going to work. So and it I'm didn't going work. elsewhere. Now, no, it didn't. Yeah. So. I think it all depends on that. And when you have a star player, especially in an organization like Green Bay, which is owned by the fans, essentially, I think the the parties involved have to be able to work together. And if they can't, then somebody walks away or somebody gets fired. So we'll see what happens. You always take the points. And no matter what sport you play, I, I definitely agree that it was a bad call. Um, you always take the points. And, yeah, um, it's Aaron Rodgers. He he can pretty much go wherever he wants to probably. So um, that might be the beautiful mystery of it. He, <laughs> he gets to choose. So, <laughs> you know, he, he kind of has that power now. So 
Um, it'll be interesting to see what he does. Um, hey, maybe Jeopardy is his beautiful mystery. You never know. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, may, maybe it is. But, I mean, I, Claire, I have to ask you, were you, like, scratching your head going, you still need a touchdown no matter how you slice this? How come you're not at least running with Rodgers? Like, were you, as a fan, were you scratching your head? Oh, absolutely. I definitely would have run the ball. And, well, he was wide open, too. He should have ran the ball in. Um, but on the other side of it, uh, that game was won by turnovers. Honestly, uh, the Buccaneers' defense um, took apart an offense that, hey, like we've discussed, that they might not be on the same page. And um, what Tom Brady has said this year is that he's had the opportunity to be able to call his own plays and, and play the way that he wants to. So I think at this point, Aaron Rodgers might be thinking the same thing of, I want to, I want to play football my way in my last few years in this league. And so maybe he's looking just to run things his own way. In a radio friendly manner, what is the first thing that Bill Balachek said in his own house uh, after realizing that number 12 went back to another Super Bowl. Josh? In a radio-friendly way? Um, <laughs> yes. That, that's, that's a challenge. I think it was along the lines of, oh, wow, that guy's going to do it again. Yeah. I, I, I just... I, this has been a weird, weird week for me, Brock, because I've heard interviews with Tom Brady this week. And you and I both know being Buffalo Bill fans, we we have earned a serious dislike for the man over the years. But I heard interviews with him this week where he was happy and smiling and pleasant to talk to. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm starting to like this guy. This this is weird. This is this is too weird. So, I, yeah, it's it's. I I don't know what Bill might be thinking. Uh, I just I don't see Bill getting the dynasty back. I really don't. They they had the star quarterback in Cam Newton, and it didn't work. So, Claire, ten we'll seconds. What's the first uh, thing Bill Belichick said? Ah, uh, uh, I think he's jealous. Uh, Tom Brady's in Florida playing football the way he wants to. Um, yeah, I think he's jealous. <laughs> Fair enough. That is the end of our show for this week. I'd like to thank Claire Buchanan, Josh Watson. Our technical producer is Matt Agnew. Our technical supervisor is Paula Deneen. And our manager of AMI Audio is Andy Frank. Tune in next week because you just never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Be safe and have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.